and welcome to our first episode of 2022 of Food Farm Talk on CFRU 93.3 FM. Uh, today we have all three of our hosts here together, myself, Emily Duncan, Abdul Rahim Abdullahi, and Paul Smith uh, in a virtual chat on Zoom. Um, so it's great to, to be in conversation with you guys today to talk about a little bit of a year in review of the hot topics that happened in the food and agricultural sector uh, over 2021. Uh, thank you, Emily, uh, for uh, the brief introduction. I think it's really great that uh, we, we are together again to bring you another episode of Food Farm Talk. Uh, it's been a long time that we've had it. There are two of us having an episode together. And 2021, of course, wasn't one of our busiest years in terms of episodes uh, because COVID restrictions and a whole lot of other things, we were not really able to bring so many episodes. But it's really good. We are in 2022, and let's see what the year has got for us. So, Yeah, it's great to join the two of you. It's like a little reunion here, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Virtual, but... Uh, a reunion nonetheless, right? It's fun. Definitely. Uh, and so today we thought we'd take a, a zoom out and look at some of the global events that took place. And then uh, as we go through the show, zoom in a little bit, talk about some national things, some provincial things, and then um, some food and farm events that are important to the local Guelph community. Um, and... So just to kick us off and get started, one thing that we did want to mention was the um, United Nations Food Systems Summit was held in September 2021. And this was really exciting because this is the first time in a long time that at that international level, there's been... Um, a, the leaders of the world have gotten together to, to really think about how we can impact the world's food systems. And so prior to September, when the summit took place, the prior 18 months before food system dialogues happened all over the world with different groups of people. And so I was lucky enough to be part of the food systems dialogue that focused on youth perspectives that was brought together by the Errol Food Institute, McGill University, and University of British Columbia. And it was a really great time to uh, get together virtually with students all across Canada and uh, leaders, youth leaders in our food system to talk about some of the actions that we need to do to transform the way that the world produces, consumes, and even thinks about food. Yeah. Uh that, that's really interesting, uh, Emily. And just like Emily, I had opportunity to participate in a couple of this food systems dialogue. Uh, and for me, when in regards to the food system summit, uh, I think 2021 was really great. As Emily mentioned, it's been a long time that we've had like global leaders, you know, talking about food and the food system summit actually provided the opportunity to you know you know bring the conversations about food you know in circles that probably people usually will not talk about it and what 
one of the things that actually stood out for me was actually the food system, the dialogues, right? Uh, even though the actual program was in September, right? September 2021, but throughout the year, starting in January, there were dialogues happening all over the world. And uh, we had opportunity to attend one in Canada here. I did also have opportunity to attend another one that was very Africa focused. Right. So, but just seeing conversations happening in, you know, spaces that, you know, in the past were very isolated spaces. People have their own conversations about food, but in their own, like, you know, chambers. But the Food System Summit actually, you know, brought all these conversations together into one platform, which is really great. Right. So I, I, I don't know what exactly came out of it, but if for nothing at all, but just by the conversations happening, I think it was really good to see uh, that kind of traction around food. Sure, I, I totally agree. And I think one of the expected outcomes that is supposed to happen uh, out of the Food System Summit is that the creation of um, essentially an IPCC for food. And so uh, when I say IPCC, I'm referring to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. So this is at that international level, bringing together scientists and leaders uh, to think about climate change, but at this, and so getting something, an organization similar to that together to think about our food system. But this has always caused uh, a lot of controversy as, you know, there is a bit of a power struggle between the global north and global south of who gets to sit on these things, who gets to make decisions around them for the food system. And we know that food systems are so unique across the globe and so localized as well. So having this large high level body at the international level, is it something that's that's really going to make a difference? I think that uh, it remains to be seen. And I think it's something that's that's in the works post uh, the UN Food System Summit. Well, that's a good segue to the uh, the other big event in Glasgow, the uh, convention of the parties of the Convention on Climate Change, which uh, obviously brought a lot of attention to climate change mitigation in particular, and uh, and the, our federal government was very focused on that for much of the year as well, and, and during the election as well. And so, and there were a number of things related to agriculture specifically, uh, climate change. Their new, just at the tail end of 2020, they had a, a new climate plan, revised pl climate plan, and agriculture featured more prominently than in previous version. And then in their budget in March, there were some new funding commitments for sort of nature-based solutions, as they call them, uh, for agriculture, and also commitment around uh, fertilizer use, which generated some controversy over the year to right, reduce the emissions related to fertilizer use uh, by 30%. Uh, I think by 2030, or is it? Anyway, and uh, so that generates some controversy through the year, too, as the Fertilizer fertilizer Canada did a little uh, quote-unquote study showing that it would be, you know, a lot would be very challenging, but, uh, but there's a little back and forth on that. Uh, but there are some new funding programs uh, that are accepted applications and so we're hoping waiting for some uh, results uh, to see where who will be doing what uh, so lots of new potential for on-farm 
climate action, like more cover crops, uh, you know, reduced to nitrogen fertilizer use, uh, and uh, a couple of other items. So those are some of the, the bigger picture things at the national scale. Sorry, I just clicked unmute at just the wrong time. And that's my dog um, who only barks when I'm on Zoom. Uh, so <laughs> thanks for that introduction, Paul, to some of the new policy um, for agriculture around climate change. And something else that came out is um, what they decided to call the Guelph Statement, which I think is really awesome, uh, being that we're located in Guelph. Um, but this is a vision to 2028, and it's a statement that um, all the provinces and territories signed on to, and you know, it really recognizes Canada as a world leader in sustainable agriculture. And through the Guelph Statement, it's essentially comprised of five priority areas, um, which the first being tackling climate change and environmental protection. The second being continuing to invest in science, research, and in innovation within agriculture to address challenges and opportunities. The third um, looks at Canadian businesses to meet the needs of interconnected domestic and global marketplaces. Uh, fourth, it continues to build our, our sector capacity and continue to grow agri-food products. And finally, to enhance resiliency by anticipating, mitigating, and responding to risks um, through business risk management programs. So I think this, this Guelph statement is a really a key piece of policy that you know gives us that vision to 2028 and is guided by principles of sustainable agriculture of you know enhancing our sector so that we can compete globally and collaborating with with stakeholders at, while at the same time supporting producers so and the other shoe on that will drop in July when they come up with a, a more detailed framework based on the wealth statement yeah, exactly. There's more to more to come with this. So it's mm -hmm. exciting that all the, the provinces and territories have uh, accepted kind of the beginning guiding principles and uh, key priority areas. And it'll be exciting to see in 2022 what some of the, the key policies that actually come out of that are. Yeah, I think uh, like talking about this uh, golf statement, uh, for me, looking at it, uh, what really caught my attention is mostly with regards to, you know, uh, situating climate change and resilience with regards in the discussion of food and act. And I, I, when I speak about this, I usually try to connect it to like the conversations that were happening. And like I mentioned earlier, part of what we were anticipating to get from the UN Food Summit was actually to, to actually drive conversations around food. And I remember following the, uh, the speech that was given at Glasgow by the UN envoy for the, you know, uh, Food Summit, uh, Agnes Kalibata, and she categorically like, called on world leaders to try to situate food when in, in discussions of climate change, uh, because food is always like, it's a central piece when we talk about climate mitigation. So to see that kind of, you know, conversations at a global level, but to see some, you know, some attention and practical steps being taken at a national level in Canada and like, across all provinces. I think it's a very interesting, uh, you know, development. And as we said, resilience. Exactly. Yeah. And looking back on the, the year in review, we see that, you know, 
agricultural producers have been severely impacted by climate change in 2021. Um, I think some of the events that come to mind are the devastating floods that happened in BC. Um, you know, those made headlines in terms of, you know, we're seeing climate change disrupt supply chains, having train routes, roads completely wiped out by flooding, um, which has huge effects on our food system. But also at the same time, you know, these are people's businesses and livelihoods. You know, farmers were out there trying to to rescue cattle that were were drowning in the flood. You know, so I think when these kind of devastating effects happened of climate change and, and people start to see what will be the impacts on our food system. We know that we need to be implementing these policies and changes as fast as possible at the international, national and local level. Yeah. And the other extreme is not enough water. So the, the drought in the, on the prairies and in Northwestern Ontario as well was quite devastating, you know, before the floods in uh, British Columbia. So we've got both, precipitation and temperature involved. And, and so there was a, a lot of uh, relief needed first for the prairie farmers and, and Northwestern Ontario, particularly the livestock sector. Got, and so the federal and provincial governments both both uh, anteed up relief from for, for those producers. And, uh, and then an interesting development is this Hay West thing that it's a bit of a, re, a reboot of a, an initiative uh, Back, I don't know, it's a, it might be a decade ago when when um, Ontario and Eastern Canada sent um, rail shipments of hay to uh, livestock producers in Western Canada to uh, because they lacked their own local source because because of the drought. So the the federal government, uh, uh, Madame Bibo allocated money for that and they kind of teamed up with the Canadian Federation of Agriculture which is kind of interesting so uh, uh, they that's a good good combination of the major farm organization and the and the federal department so yeah it was great to see that and you know that's what those organizations are there for you know for farmers to be able to support farmers in these times where and you know yeah, climate and weather are, are doing a lot of unpredictable things and having having dire consequences for farmers in different places. Yeah, I think, you know, you know that idea of the hay west is like really great because we, we, we know that all over the world, and of course, in Canada, we've seen the effects uh, in 2021 of what climate can actually do, especially what we see, we saw in British Columbia. Uh, ben, to, to see farmers, you know, supporting other farmers, you know, in a time of need, right? Some, you know, that doesn't like always happen, especially in some context. Because sometimes when people look at farmers, like we do, sometimes see them as very competitive, you know, uh, industry. But to have that idea where the government is working together with local organizations, where we see farmers in one region uh, providing support for like support. So I think that's an interesting development that we should we, we need to like you know, always talk about when we look at like climate resilience. An interesting sideline to that too is is the uh, uh, combination of uh, one of our first uh, female ministers of agriculture at the federal level, Marie Claude uh, 
Bebo and the first female president of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture, uh, Mary Robinson. So, and I think they've got a bit of a chummy thing going on between them. And, and it, it, it is indicative of, you know, real big change in agriculture, uh, the role of uh, women rising to leadership positions. So we even got, uh, we have a president, uh, female president of the Ontario Federation of Agriculture as well. So I think it's a, there's a bit of a sea change happening in that, that regard as well. And a very interesting development on that front in terms of equity was uh, September 30th, uh, the first uh, National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. All of major farm groups put out some sort of uh, statement regarding uh, reconciliation. And, and it was kind of, it, you don't always expect that from farm, farm groups who are more interested, you know, they're, they're uh, promoting uh, producers' interests and so on, but to recognize something like that, which is a bit of a, another sea change in terms of uh, the national consciousness. So that was a, another um, sort of on the equity front. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely been a step in the right direction. And, and there's been a lot of conversations happening about how the agriculture sex, sector really needs to step up its game on equity, diversity, and inclusion. And um, yeah, seeing women in those leadership roles is so promising. Seeing farmers paying attention to, you know, the need to uh, address truth and reconciliation. And I know, Abdul, you uh, published an opinion piece in the Globe and Mail um, talking about the, the need for increased diversity within Canada's agriculture sector. Yeah, I think that just really ties into, you know, that piece. I think that was somewhere in May uh, 2021 that I wrote that piece on diversity. But uh, the, the crust of that piece was just to, you know, propel conversations, you know, uh, about, you know, increasing the diversity in Canadian agriculture industry and then creating opportunities for diverse people, right, to be able to access the industry and to make, uh, like, diverse people really welcome, be it, uh, you know, BIPOC or Indigenous people, like women, you know, groups that originally wouldn't have opportunities or may feel unwelcome in uh, Canadian ag industry. And really interesting, uh, Paul, you mentioned about, you know, we have women leaders, and I think that was in 20, I don't know whether it's 2021 or 2020, Emily, we did we did have an episode that was specifically on this issue uh, about, you know, Canadian ag, the change in the leadership landscape uh, with SF having, you know, a female um Minister and a female, you know, president of, uh, you know, Federation of Agriculture. And we, at that point in time, I remember her saying that we we are looking forward to seeing how, you know, the leadership will unfold in the next coming months and years. And I think what we are we are seeing so far has been great. Exactly. Yeah, shifting to kind of a provincial scale, it's interesting that uh, with the cost of housing being kind of front page item, and uh, Lots of people advocating for uh, more building on farmland, in fact. Uh, so farmland protection has been in the news and uh, all of the major farm organizations are solidly behind farmland protection. In fact, they, uh, a number of them want the green belt protection for agriculture extended across the entire province. So it's quite at odds with what uh, the provincial government has in mind. Uh, in terms of opening up more land for uh, for housing and development, but uh, so so it's a, it's quite a uh, and then they have the minister's zoning orders that are 
preempt local planning rules around things like uh, farmland protection. So it's been a very controversial year regarding uh, that, but, uh, and we'll see what happens in the, in the uh, coming year on that too. Cause I, I think there, of course, we'll have a provincial election in the middle of that. So it might become an issue because the, uh, the highway construction, particularly the uh, the Bradford bypass, has a lot of implications for uh, farmland. You know that's a uh, uh, potential impact on the on on the uh, Holland Marsh there, which is where a lot of our carrots and onions and other vegetables are produced for for the market. Yeah, that has definitely been something that's been a big headline and will continue to be a big headline, I think, up uh, up until and beyond the provincial election is that that Highway 413 is um, would take up uh, several thousands of acres of farmland and turn prime farmland and turn it into another highway for the GTA traffic. So I I think it's a huge issue, and it's one issue that our actual local MPP, uh, Mike Schreiner, has been a strong advocate for farmland protection and a strong advocate against uh, the plan to pro- build Highway 413 as well. So we have some some uh, advocacy from from our our local elected leaders on that topic. <laughs> yeah, and there's actually a new group that's formed that wants to. Uh add to the green belt with the Periscope Marine and Aglands in the south end of Guelph and, and beyond in, into Waterloo Region. So there's a new coalition formed of that. Because per- paradoxically, the, the uh, provincial government also consulted on uh, growing, growing the green belt. So what to add to the green belt at the same time as talking about building more housing uh, and freeing up land for, for development. So yeah, I, I think you know that that that's, that looks like a very complex issue, and I, these are things you know governments face every every day, uh, in terms of you know mm-hmm. making trade-offs between you know you want to protect you know land, you want to also pro- uh, provide housing, you know, and then ease traffic, and like these are tough decisions government make. Uh, but uh, as we are seeing in Ontario, I which is good is the fact that it's sometimes really not good to just allow governments to make decisions without, you know, uh, local participation. So how, seeing this, you know, on the ground, like mobilization, uh, to make sure that when things like that happen, but they happen in the interest of the environment, uh, I think these are really like good uh, developments. And uh, as we have seen, you know, housing prices are going up like everywhere, especially, you know, especially around, you know, golf and you know, areas in, you know, Ontario. Why don't we switch to the local level now? we got about five minutes left here. I know, Emily, you had some thoughts about uh, you're involved in the food features uh, effort in here in Guelph, Wellington. Exactly, yeah. So it's really exciting that the, our food future has uh, started a new initiative that I will hope be a legacy of the, the $10 million project uh, to create a circular food economy of Guelph. Um, and it's started a roundtable, the Food System Resiliency Roundtable, uh, which I happen to sit on along with other uh, interested food and agricultural 
people. <laughs> I don't quite know how to say it. Everybody is a, everybody's a foodie there. Um, and we all work in different, different areas. Um, some people with community health, some people with their own food businesses, um, some people like me who are researchers. So a real diverse group of people in Guelph who are coming together and talking about how can we make our local Guelph Wellington food system more resilient. And so kind of jumping off the, the last point and thinking about the housing crisis that's definitely hit Guelph. Um, people are struggling to afford homes and to pay rents. And in turn, this is leading to, in addition, I should say, to the COVID-19 pandemic, this is leading to extremely high rates of food insecurity. And we're, we're finding those rates growing in our community. So part of the Food Resiliency Roundtable is, is to address that growing issue in our community. Yeah, it's, it's really, I, I think it's really good to see, like I said, something happening in golf, uh, because, of course, golf is kind of a hub of, you know, food because of the university. And I think it's, it's, it's probably even long overdue that, you know, and probably a, a round table like that hasn't been, you know, wasn't, hasn't been established a long time ago. And because we've seen in other places where we have like agriculture kitchen tables, we have like food policy councils, which, which kind of like mirrors this kind of, uh, you know, uh, this kind of uh, roundtable. So to see something like that, you know, being born out of our food futures, I think it's a plus. And I think it's really great to see that local mobilization. I just hope that we'll be able to, you know, build on that mobilization, right, to, in order to make the food system more resilient. Because as we mentioned, housing prices have hit golf really high, and we are seeing a lot of, you know, uh, local people struggling to access food. Uh, in golf, and there are a lot of good organizations like Seed that have been, you know, helping to promote food security in golf over the years. But to, you know, to see everybody with those sh that shared interest coming together is a good first step. Yeah, and it's it's funny that you mentioned the Seed Abdul because um, through the Food Resiliency Roundtable, I learned about this really great new program that they're offering uh, that I'd like to highlight. It's that you know I always used to love to buy my vegetables at the markets that they had because um, they focus on local producers. They have great prices and also sliding scale prices um, for people in our community who who might be struggling. Um, but since COVID nineteen, they've had to shut down their markets. Um, but now they're offering a new service called Groceries by the Seed. And so you can order your groceries online and it's not just fruits and vegetables. They have pantry items, dairy, proteins, um, kind of a whole grocery uh, thing. And the prices I think are really good. And what happens is that for every person who buys their groceries from the Seed full price, they're able to offer a discount to um those in our community who are suffering from food insecurity to buy their groceries. And currently there's a, a wait list to receive those discounted groceries. And the wait list is over 500 people. So we really need to be spreading the word about this and people who can afford to buy full price groceries. Uh, this is a great place to buy your groceries from and they deliver for free. So you don't have to go out into the crowds and stores during the Omicron wave, which is really convenient. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, we've gone from global to national to provincial to local, and and we're kind of at our end of time here. So, yeah, yeah. this is it's been great to chat with both of you.
Yeah, I think it's really great to uh, you know chat again, and I I do hope that this will be a springboard to having more episodes, you know, twenty twenty two. I know twenty twenty one was really dull for uh, all of us, but we do hope that twenty twenty two will be able to bring you more episodes. But just to take the opportunity to thank you know CFRU and to thank all our listeners uh, for staying with us even within this you know uh, challenging times. So it's great to have you, and uh, we are happy. Uh, to bring you this episode. Uh, we look forward to you know interacting with you again uh, in the next few weeks and the next few months in 2022. Uh, thank you for listening to Swim Farm Talk and we do hope that you enjoy this episode. Uh, have a great week uh, and the very best of 2022.